Welcome to Healthcare Disrupted, where conversations, topics, and innovators share how they are disrupting healthcare to change a cookie-cutter healthcare system to become more innovative, creative, and result-driven. Now, here are your hosts, Renee Lumain and Jasmine Vilas. Welcome back to Healthcare Disrupted. I'm your host, Renee Lumain. And I'm Jasmine Vilas. Today is May 18th, 2020, and this is our fourth episode. We have a wonderful guest today. His name is Henry Drong co-founder of Process Delivery Systems, PDS. And so he is mostly known as a person who reduces process confusion and complexity so employees can, can confidently understand and perform their jobs faster and more effectively. So Henry, welcome to the show today. How are you, man? I'm doing fine. Thanks, uh, Renee and Jasmine, for having me on. Awesome, oh, awesome. You. It is wonderful. You know, Henry and I, we had several conversations, uh, I think within the past two days, if I'm not mistaken, and we talked a lot about uh, COVID-19 and how this has really affected uh, um, physician practices. And I know within several of our you know, past uh, episodes that we've had, Jasmine and I, we've had plenty of discussions about this. And so with today's episode, uh, the, you know, the reason why we have Henry here today is because Henry is an expert when it comes to process. And I think as physician practices are really trying to get back to some type of normalcy, uh, we can't ignore the fact that COVID still, is, still exists and it's out there. And so physicians have to be very careful as to how they open up their practices to ensure that they are protecting themselves, their staff, but also to the patients. And so I just wanted to kind of, you know, dive a little bit into that. But before we do, um, you, know, I, you know, I always like to make sure our listeners get to know our guests and so, uh, you know, with that being said, Henry, just tell us a little bit about you and uh, how you got into the field of process improvement. Okay, good. Um, so I always start by telling people my background's uh, military. I'm an old school fighter pilot, backseater. And uh, what the Navy did a good job of is brainwashing me into thinking process and checklists. <laughs> um, and for good reason. And the, you know, when you break a checklist, invariably some equipment gets damaged, uh, somebody can get injured or worse. Um, from day one, we're drilled on, you know, step one, step two, step two, step three. And in every activity, we normally brief, go execute, come back and debrief. So it's more of, you know, that process thinking. Um, but we're also uh, focused on accountability. It's a team uh, effort and everything that we do. So each person has a specific role that they play. So, uh, you know, that was the start of it. I, you know, did that. I ran an airport for the military for a while, more emergency procedures and in teamwork after that into IBM, very structured, disciplined approach. Uh, been self-employed as an IT director for very long time. And uh, I want to say a few years ago, a friend of mine from IBM showed me how he was using websites to deliver processes. And I immediately uh, went back to the, in the military aviation, we have this thing called pre-mishap plan. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do before uh, the incident happens? And I went back to that. 
and it was a big old three ring binder, dog eared and, mm-hmm. you know, different procedures for if you have an incident over land as opposed to over water. And uh, when I saw that, I said, this, this is way beyond. He was using process flows for project management. And I said, this goes beyond that to project management. I'm sorry. He was doing project management. And I said, this goes beyond that to process management. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we started. And uh, wow. that's what we've been doing ever since. Awesome. Love it. Henry knows that I, I'm fascinated with process. It's one of my little side passions. So we, uh, we definitely connect on that level. It's like being in a, an incredible orchestra conductor and being able to see where there's these notes that need to be played and who's missing and which, which player, you know, which violinist isn't in the right seat today and <laughs> all, of exactly. all of that. So, so it's exciting to me to have you on, Henry, because I think there's, there's a lot of folks miss the importance of process and especially in these times when you know, we need a deeper understanding on how to really improve what we're doing internally so that we can have a better outcome in our modified way, right? In the way that we're finding, making adjustments, like folks not having processes and learning very quickly that it's going to hinder their, their efforts when they're not able to micromanage and be there hand-holding hand every team member from a, remote, from a remote environment, for example. But when we're talking about this kind of uh, modified practices right now where there's lower the 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 attendance rate for patients so that the actual um, patient visits are down in the office but then additionally they're they're running at a skeleton crew so their team is maybe not making it into the office to be able to to help tend to their patients so they need to have heavier understanding of you know what the processes need to need to shift and so people who aren't accustomed to being in these roles can start to assume those roles and take take over those elements or those ownership of those processes on a temporary basis. So I'm excited about our conversation today, Henry. Okay. Thank you. Well, the foundation of what we do too, I'll bring this up is, uh, you know, everything that we're doing is established. We're the only thing that we're doing new is the way we deliver the content. Mm -hmm. Foundation of what we do is called Lean Six Sigma, which is a database method of uh, process improvement, continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to make it transparent, but we always have a direction that we're going in anytime, any, any part of the process improvement uh, activity that we bring to our, our clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago uh, when I used to work for JPS Health Network, I went through the Holding Six Sigma Greenbelt training and you learn about eliminating waste. And, uh, you know, you, you learn about the CIPOC, uh, just different methods of tackling, you know, processes and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially with like PD, uh, PDSAs, I think, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm saying it correctly, oh, but. Do check act. Yeah. 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 There you go. So, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it definitely puts you in, a, it wires your, your mind in a different way. Mm-hmm at things and, and you find yourself questioning every step of the process and uh and and i think every organization need, needs somebody that that way so mm-hmm. that's important all right so with that being said henry um so healthcare. so how i guess one thing uh what made you decide to start process delivery systems and and how did you end up getting into the healthcare sector Okay, so 
Um, as I talked about earlier, uh, the associate mind was focused on uh, project management and I was more focused on process management. Uh, I've got another partner who's a lean Six Sigma black belt, financial expert, supply chain, mm -hmm. and a warehouse expert. And he's provided a ton of coaching for me. And, um, you know, we get into discussions about variation, control, et cetera. Um, over the years, we've done work for school districts, uh, response to intervention, section 504, general discipline, uh, information technology delivery, and uh, uh, worked for a government agency on uh, data management for address data and, and public safety address data. It's got to be correct when uh, there's an emergency. And so, you know, a number of areas like that, uh, got into healthcare, and the first project that I got in healthcare was for revenue cycle management, um, which is very broad. It goes from you know, the patient engagement, initial engagement, uh, all the way to the point where the claims are reconciled. And in doing that process, uh, we can see in the end the, the touch points and engagement flow. So that's how we got into healthcare. What we're seeing now is, of course, you know, COVID has hit and um, it's kind of put the healthcare industry on its heels and everyone's responding. Um, I, I, I want to say there are organizations that are responding in somewhat of a disciplined manner, but everyone's creating their own version of, uh, let's say, COVID screening. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the, the process is similar from step to step. doesn't matter where they come in and, and, and where you place them. What we're seeing is so many different variations of, of COVID screening. Right. And it, across the industry, that, uh, that variation is expensive. You, know, you don't see it down, but it's expensive. So right. did I answer your question? No, yeah, and absolutely. Uh, you know, because, you know, there was a guy that I spoke with, I think, down in Corpus Christi, Texas, and uh, I think he works for the city. And, you know, one thing that he was talking to me about, he was, he was just kind of trying to figure out, figuring out how to properly set up, um, I guess, tents for mass testing for people of Corpus Christi. And uh, he had, I mean, somewhat of a good general idea because I think he was kind of looking at what other cities and different states were actually doing uh, to provide the test uh, for the residents of, of that particular city. And I think for him, he just wanted to make sure that he had a way of, of efficiently, um, um, you know, setting up the process like, okay, you know, patients come in, they go to one tent. They register, you know, kind of put, you know, give their name, patient information, and then they kind of go on, you know, to the next tent to receive the test. And then after they receive the test, you know, they probably go down to another tent and somebody's going to basically kind of educate them about social distancing, uh, how to protect themselves. Um, how long it would take to, you know, to, to, to find out the results of their test and if they do pop positive, what happens from there. And so I think when we start talking about process in general, um, you know, what, you know, what does that look like? And I think depending on what, you know, people are looking for, I think in this particular situation, you know, this is just 
I think, um, you know, a simple process as to, you know, you know, from step one to step, I don't know, 10, you know, what is that going to look like um, in general? Um, but, uh, but, but I think, you know, overall, right? I mean, you know, as we think about the physician practices, um, you know, and I think you and I, we had this discussion yesterday, you know, what does it look like from when uh, a patient first to come into the practice and they get checked in, you know, what is supposed to happen? Because I, I think there's a lot that is really involved from that, you know, from that standpoint, right? And so I just wanted you to kind of, you know, maybe give us a recommended, uh, you know, idea as to what you think that would look like. Because, okay. because I know I, because I have a couple, but I definitely want you to kind of share with the people about that. So I'm um, glad you said what is it what is going to look like. Um, so I'll go back to my aviation experience. I told you that I'm an old school fighter pilot. Um, what that means is I'm used to seeing a lot of information at very high speed, and the information is constantly changing. Um, but there is a rhythm, there is a rhyme to the information, um, and whatever it depends on where we're at and whatever we're doing. Is but so much information I want to see in this call that that visual or mental window. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're looking at when I show you the stuff that we do is a, a let's say a fighter pilot's view of process. All right. Now you said, what does that look like? What it has to look like, it has to be visually consumable. All right. Mm -hmm. Who are we talking to? We're talking to stakeholders, from the, from the individual at the most granular level, at the front office, all the way to, in this case, we, we're talking to the board. I know we're talking about COVID, but COVID affects the operation of COVID as a team effort from that front desk, from that first call with the patient, to the patient uh, visit, to the patient treatment, and, and there's the clinical side, and there's the administrative and revenue side. Mm -hmm. What I'm seeing is disconnects in those because the processes aren't brought together. Mm -hmm. And the member in that process has a role. They have, it takes some input. You said SIPOC before, supplier input, process output, consumer. That person takes some input, does something to it, and then delivers it to the next person. Mm -hmm. The first person at the front desk takes input, patient comes in, does what they're supposed to do, and they deliver it to someone else. The problem that we've got is, um, I want to say that uh, what I'm calling it now is 21st century content delivery. Okay, I read an article uh, a couple of weeks ago. Bill Gates said in 19 in 1995 he said the internet's going to change everything, and the ebook is coming. Okay, so here we are in the 21st century. The internet has changed everything, uh, but we're still using 20th century, uh, for lack of anything else, let's say paradigms on, on content delivery to deliver all this content that's coming at people, all right? Mm -hmm. And it's not working. So you've got people trying to do workflows and the uh, footprint that they're trying to put it in is an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and so they're squeezing as much information in as they can. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a friend of mine's a doctor, and he's using a magnifying glass 
to read uh, the content <laughs> of his workflow. And that's, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, I remember. A magnifying glass to read this stuff. Enough steps, you need one, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and so, again, if I were uh, in my seat and somebody gave me something I had to use a magnifying glass for, guess what? Yeah. Not, use it. not getting done. <laughs> no, exactly. it's happen. I'm just going to throw it away. Yeah. Uh, I'll say in, in, in the case, you know, they're, they're expecting these people to use this stuff. And so the, the, the mindset is, let's put as much information on eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper as we can. What we're also seeing is um, not to knock the doctors, but we're seeing, uh, let's say, PhD level writing and illustrations for PhD level people to read. Mm-hmm. Well, Somebody at the front desk is going to say, I can't read this. I'm not going to use it. So when you say what it looks like, that's critical to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not only do we do the process definition, we define and visualize the process in a manner that we like to say is visually consumable. Absolutely. Consumable means, consumable means it's not overwhelming. Sure. I don't have to get a magnifying glass to read the type. I don't have 15,000 different colors and objects to try to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. In that first three seconds, when I see that diagram, Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not friendly, it's gone in the trash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So visually consumable, operationally consumable. Um, Again, these diagrams are being drawn so that the practitioners use it. But if I've got a patient in front of me who's impatient, Right. I don't have time to read a document and go right. back to the patient. That patient has my attention. Mm-hmm. So we're concerned about visual, visual consumability, operational consumability. Mm-hmm. Um, all the work that we've done, or I'll say 90% of the work that we've done has been in an environment where if something goes wrong, a legal suit could start. So we do a ton of research. And so yeah. we also say that uh, the delivery should deliverable should be defendable. So we place that research in the process where the decisions are being made so that you can say, here's why we did it. And, um, and, again, and, aviation. and I'll hockey. say this and I'll say this, right? right. So, because I want to make sure that our listeners, you know, really understand, right? So, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, Henry. So what Henry's talking about, because Henry create these process flow maps. Mm-hmm. So I can sit here all day and say, this is step one, step two, step three of what the staff, providers, whoever's involved are supposed to be doing in the practice whenever we're dealing with patients during this COVID-19 thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so what Henry will do, he will take everything that you write and basically put it in a process or swim lane pool type of flow to where you will see exactly what happened from point A to point Z. So that way everybody knows what their roles and responsibilities are, right? And so for me, I like to think if I was a physician and I had a medical practice, this is what I think my process would potentially look like. And I, and, and, and I know there's probably some variation out there of it, but I think you know, I would, you know, whenever a patient would walk into, well, before a patient even walk into my practice, I think it's important that uh, prior to the patient coming in, 
Uh, I think there should be a, you know, a front desk staff should be calling patients to first confirm their appointment, but also ask them several questions uh, to determine whether a patient is showing signs of symptoms of coronavirus. You know, you know, have you been coughing? Have you been feeling fatigue? Have you been having difficulty of breathing? Have you come in contact with anyone who has been diagnosed with coronavirus? I think these questions are important to ask so that if the patient answer yes to any one of these questions, then it may be best to reschedule them um, and just tell them, hey, you know, quarantine at home for 14 days uh, before you can actually come to your appointment. And, and then, and, and then, or maybe if your symptoms are worsening, then you may want to go to the ED department. But let's say the patient answered no to those questions, then of course, the patient will show up to the practice, right? And when the patient do show up, I think there should be a hygiene station right at the entrance of the door where patients can sanitize their hands, they can put a face mask on, uh, and maybe gloves, you know, and then I think when the patient goes to the front desk, that registration person should ask them, um, again, the same questions, have you been coughing, uh, feeling fatigue, uh, having trouble breathing, have you come into contact with anybody with the virus, and if the patient says no, then that basically that patient is good to go at that point. And, and, and so another thing I want to mention, because you know, uh, I know uh, Henry and I, we talked about this last night, I think in the waiting rooms, uh, things that uh, I think physician offices can do, uh, I think option A would, would, would probably be to make sure uh, to rearrange your, your uh, seating arrangements to make sure the seats are six feet apart so yeah. that patients are going to come in then basically they are sitting six feet apart, they have their mask, they have the glove on, their hands are sanitized, they're good to go. Or as you know, Henry mentioned too, is that you know, I think some practices are having patients arrive but sit in their cars. They're calling in to say, hey, I'm here for my appointment. And when the doctor's ready, they're telling that patient, hey, yeah. come we're ready to see you because then it just you know eliminate the risk factor of just having you know people in the waiting room area so i think right. that that works well like we were talking about you know you, most people aren't thinking about these things so they have their their typical just their typical design of their waiting room with the magazines around and the kids toys around and all this stuff that makes it a transmittable environment whereas if you have the 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 phone the phone for for um for the appointment you, you're reaching out to them letting them know come right in you open the door up for them and there's 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 just a pass through the, the reception area and they're not even stopping and doing anything so i love that um and, uh, also uh, on that question so let's go back to where renee talked about the uh front desk uh calling the day before mm -hmm. on that list there ought to be questions on how are you going to arrive private transportation public mm -hmm. transportation Private transportation very easy. Tell them to pull them into the pull into the lot, then call me from your phone, and we'll tell you when to call in. But if you're coming on tr public transportation, what's your staging area? Uh, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, let the patient know what to expect. You're going to walk in here yeah. and uh, expect to get this. Uh, what are you going to do if it's raining out outside, and and where are they going to wait? So all those things need to be captured and. Uh, one of the things that Renee, you and I talked about is, you know, what is it that the, uh, let's say the healthcare industry 
uh, would benefit on on cap on on doing right now that's somewhat different than what they're doing. Uh, and again, this is not new. Lessons learned. Okay, mm-hmm. everything that we're talking about right now, you describe procedurally, step by step by step. If it's not captured, documented, and and then reviewed after the event, again, mm-hmm. it's my aviation background. We would brief, we go out and execute. Then we would come back and debrief and right. find out who did what and, uh, and then improve wow. the next one, all right? So one of the things that I'm not seeing, here's what I do see on the clinical side. Everything we're talking about procedurally, they are doing, you know, ad nauseum, caution. You know, we're saying, when's the COVID uh, uh, cure going to happen? And uh, the doctor is saying, ah, oh, 18 months. And uh, I'm not going to say who was saying, oh, we'll have it next week. Okay. So, you know, but you know that they're going through the rigor. Yeah. Okay? On the administrative side, that same amount of rigor is not being applied. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a ton of information that's being lost. And that information that's being lost, mm-hmm. that information, those, those activities were paid for. And they're going to be paid for again. Exactly. Right. right. And then they're going to be paid for again. Yep. And the mistakes, they're going to be paid for. The mistakes will be made again. And they're going to be paid for again. So mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons the margins are low. But yeah, COVID, um, again, I've looked at probably a dozen different workflows from, from, from patient engagement via the phone to uh, isolation and treatment. You know, it's relatively the same. The problem is there's so much information. When I say 21st century, here's what the internet has done. Now we have a ton of information hitting hitting us from different vectors. And we're also multitasking at the same time. So attention spans have shortened. I've gone out to the CDC. There's great information out on the CDC. But you better be familiar with that website because (laughs) there's a lot of information coming from everywhere. Right. And looking at, you know, I, I, I looked at, oh, uh, you said uh, have the person stay home and, and, and uh, isolate for 14 days. Well, CDC's got instructions for that. True. But it's about six pages long when you print it out. <laughs> and if you try to look at it on screen, I am a tree killer. I'll tell you that now. I do print out a lot. <laughs> but that way I can yes. see what I want to get you know, when you're trying to navigate a screen and the screen may be, oh, let's say 10 screens long, mm-hmm. you know, about three or four or five screen scrolls into it, right. frustration starts, okay? And it gets worse and it gets worse. So again, I keep going back to when you said, what does it look like? We are not using tw- te- uh, technology to deliver content in a manner that makes it easy to understand, easy to follow. Right. And our company is after not only defining the process again i'll come back to consumable making the information consumable right and in this industry i mean there's there's a lot of industries that move fast paced restaurants and others but this healthcare is is a unique one because there's lots to do in that small you mentioned just the small steps for that in, initial intake we haven't even gotten the patient to the back office yet this is all just happening before they come mm-hmm. into the office so things are moving very fast paced the volume is is high 
Um, and so you have to have a play, uh, the ability for someone to adjust rapidly to that new, if they need to learn a new process or they're, they're just need a refresher, been out of, on, a, on a six week vacation. They need to have that quick reference, like you mentioned about the provider earlier, being able to take a glance if it's a new provider in the office and say, what, what is it that I'm supposed to do at this point? And right. very easily be able to make a decision and not you know, get stuck in this analysis paralysis and, and then you know, make a decision and then inadvertently make a mistake. Um, with the patient and, and, you know, how all things come, come, come down the pipeline with that. So I love it. So tell me a little bit about what you think that somebody could do to help them develop um, this process. When you, you talk about this, like how, a, a little bit insight into how they start with, let's say, just looking at um, establishing a process for COVID right now. So just mm -hmm. isolating that. So Renee painted a little bit of a picture there, but do they, does someone start with this walking, walking through each step and then really trying to figure out where thing, you know, where the divide is and how to, or the, where the gaps are and how to fill those, or is there a better way that you would suggest that someone would start walking down this process? So we do it and it's very easy for us to do. So of course, first I would say call us, <laughs> but everybody's not going to call us. So um, here, here's a couple of things I recommend that I've seen. Number one, um, process definition is it takes patience okay it's not something that you just sit down and draw a square and draw a block and say this is the way it, there's actually a standard for uh, process notation called BPMN BPMN is process business process notation and uh, business process notation and management something like that but anyway um, you know, and they have all these symbols and what we recommend is just use real simple, uh, symbology, a box for a step, a diamond for a decision, you know, a document symbol, about five or six symbols and be consistent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to say who, but I've got one, uh, workflow where we've got a diamond decision and coming out of one side, it says yes and no. We're going, what? <laughs> and, and so when you're inconsistent, then the user, again, that inconsistency, the user is going to see and it's going to add to that frustration and it's going to add to the chances that they're not going to use it. So keep it simple, you know, not overwhelming. If, 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 if you show it to uh, someone who's unfamiliar with it and the first three or four seconds, their eyes get wide, they kind of step back for a second it's overwhelming. Sure, sure. Okay. And uh, if it's got a lot of colors and sign, you know, arrows and telephones and people and Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, you know, <laughs> you look at it and you go, what is this? So yeah. keep it simple. Um, go by the BPNM, BPMN, BPNM, whichever one it is, you know, <laughs> go by their standards and, uh, and test it. You know, have people look at it and test it. I know a lot of these workflows are not being tested and, you know, it's kind of, uh, I guess, a CYA. Now, yeah. like I said, a lot of the work that we do, mm -hmm. um, it could end up in a legal case. And I will tell you that the workflows that we've seen, if yeah. a lawyer gets hold of that and the organization says, this is what we're going to use, they're going to get eaten alive. They're flat going to get eaten alive. Okay. Right. Yeah. They're not and, putting the rigor that they do on the clinical side right. on the administrative side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just want to add to that is really about eliminating the risk. Um, I think whenever, 
you know, you have a process and I mean, Henry mentioned this earlier, you want to test it out. You want to make sure that it is working. Um, and, you know, and, and that is where, you know, a PDSA come into place, right? You come up with something, you put it into action, and then you go back and reevaluate it to see, okay, uh, what worked well, what did not, is this something that we want to continue? And, and if we don't, then you go to your, you know, your second trial, your third trial and so forth. Um, but, but, you know, just from a process standpoint is that, you know, every physician practice, they may not do things the same way because there are certain factors that you have to consider. Sometimes um, the layout of the physician practice, some, some practices they may have, like, let's say a room just right outside of the check-in area and 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 so practice a may say you know what if we do have a patient that has COVID, we can use this room as an isolation room and then um so that way uh, you know that patient is away from all the rest of the patients and of course the physician will be able to go in there with their ppe to go and do further assessment to further determine if that patient truly has the signs and symptoms or again, if a, if a practice doesn't have a room that they can uh, dedicate as an isolation room, and then at that point, that's where they may say, okay, if a patient does walk in into our practice, what do we do? Then at that point, it might be, hey, you know, we may need to uh, first, uh, uh, you know, direct this patient to, you know, go home and just quarantine for 14 days or probably right or right then and there. Uh, we may need to probably call the CDC, make sure the patient is wearing a mask, make sure we give them gloves, sanit or, or even just wash their hands and then wear a glove. Whatever that step may look like, I think every physician practice is going to have to determine what works best for them to mitigate the risk to, to, to the staff and the patient as a whole, and just make sure that they are following the best protocol um, from the CDC. Very good. So just so we're recapping what we were talking about there, I've got, Henry, you said patience is key, patience in this whole navigating a process documentation, and really looking at the, keeping it simple. So you recommended the BPMN um, symbols. Um, is there, is there something else you'd, you'd suggest as far as the, the next step for, for them to, to start down the road of documenting what their process is? Document and test. And, and, and when I say patients, uh, good process documentation is iterative. Um, when we work with uh, uh, the uh, subject matter experts, you know, we, we come in and, and, you know, normally somebody up the chain has said, we're going to uh, improve our processes and we come in and uh, the people that we're interviewing, you know, they're already working 10 hours of an eight hour shift. And, and now they've got this guy coming in and, and we, he's going to help us do better what we, and we already know it. Um, and, and we understand that, you know, uh, so you know, we come up with different iterations. The first time someone sees what they do illustrated, it has an impact on them, okay? And they can better understand. And most most likely in that first and second round, we normally hear after we, they'll say, uh, we do step one, step two, step three. We'll illustrate it, we bring it back, and they'll say, why did you say step two is this? I said, because that's what you told us it was. Oh, that's what I said, but that's not what I meant, okay? 
That's fine. Now we're talking about continuous improvement. We've started down a better path of defining what the process is. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, There are many BPM or business process management tools out there Mm -hmm. where people self do their flows, but again, they're just not checked. So that's why we like to do it and bring it back. And that's that iterative process. And the patience is on our side. Mm -hmm. Give them time to take it in, to think about it. And they say, yeah, that's what we said, but that's not what we meant. And this is really so-and-so's responsibility, not this person's responsibility. So we go through that. And in the end, we get something, again, that they bought into because we took their input Mm -hmm. and they're on the floor. They're going to make it work. Okay. And again, keeping it at a level that anybody from the ground level all the way through, I call that uh, process transparency, they should be able to see who's doing what, how is it being done. You know, we can apply analytics to it, et cetera. For COVID screening, it's really not that difficult. It's just made more difficult by the different variations. And, and like I said, PhDs writing for PhDs. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that, oh, that, that stuff drives me crazy. So you mentioned the responsibility mapping um, piece. So when someone is right now, for example, in this type of shift back to, to um, a, a full practice, there's a lot of practices that are experiencing either pay, either their team don't, don't do not want to return back or they are not capable of returning back full time. So they're running a, a more skeleton crew. How does someone adjust if they've already taken down this path? How do they adjust that responsibility mapping quickly? Is there something that you would suggest as far as how to how to adjust the responsibility of each of these tasks very quickly? Okay, so what you're talking about is now we're going to be going through. Um, kind of like this here, some type of uh, remote monitoring, remote um, communication. The process still stays the same, but what you have to do is now you need to put up the staging area or the logistics in the beginning of the meeting. You know, if the meeting's going to start at at, uh, 12 o'clock, that means that we really need to have everybody on board somewhere between 1145, 1150, in 12 o'clock because there's going to be technical issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to automate, 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 but there are going to be technical issues. So you get on before so that by 12 o'clock, everyone's checked in, removing, uh, someone doesn't know how to use zoom. You know, I'm kind of telling myself, but someone doesn't <laughs> have zoom as well as someone else. Um, and, and I mean, there's so many different you know, there's zoom teams, mm-hmm. uh, Google's got theirs and so which ones and which buttons and etc. So so that's one thing, but the roles in the task should remain the same. Okay. Did I answer your question? I think so, yeah. So, so if someone is adjusting um, a role or that someone else is generally responsible for when they're out of pocket or they're they they have someone else that steps in, is there an adjustment that needs to be changed to that that mapping? So what you're talking about is a situation where uh, you might want might want to call that an exception. You should have beforehand that de- identified. Identify. Okay. Um, if your if your core requirement is five people. Um, and you're working remotely. And so you've got the issues that uh, uh, remote uh, work from home uh, brings into play. 
um, then your core, you have your core plus two. Um, and those plus two can still be in the organization. It doesn't mean you have to hire two more, mm-hmm. but somebody that can step in and is familiar with that role. Now, if you document it properly, where it's, I keep going back to visually consumable, mm-hmm. uh, it's very easy to follow. And if the team is organized, is accustomed to looking at documentation like that, that's consistent. Mm-hmm. That person that's stepping in should be able to pick up that uh, task quickly. There you go. Absolutely. So my next question for you, uh, Henry, is that what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for physician practices uh, during this coronavirus pandemic? I think that there's going to be a lot of legal concern mm-hmm. uh, coming up. I'm already starting to see press on that. Sure. Um, and when I say legal, legal concern, not just patients, I'm talking about employees too. Yeah. Okay. You know, we saw that back at Ebola. Uh, mm-hmm. This is much wider. Yeah. Um, where I, uh, you know, everyone's talking about a, a second surge. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, from what I've seen publicly, mm-hmm. yeah, I believe it too. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we are much more, when I say we, I'm talking about my family is much more, uh, uh, cognizant of of sanitation now and who we're around uh, and 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 you know what are they exhibiting and so I think that you're talking about staffing um, legal issues um, I wish that you know like I said there there's a domain for capturing uh, stuff right now. And that's project lessons learned. There's right. some lessons learned. You described uh, setting up the tents. Well, somebody else is going to have to do that. And guess what? It's going to be ad hoc. Get the, you know, you got to, you know, what's your supply? Yeah. Um, you know, who's going to do the work? When does it have to be set up? Uh, what's the configuration? What happens when you break it down? Where is it going to be stored at? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what defines reusability? All those things they're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's not going to capture it so that it can be done quickly. <laughs> so, um, and the biggest thing, I'm going to go back to 21st century content delivery, using systems weighted designed to be used mm-hmm. to get the information across quickly. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, attention spans are shorter because of the various vectors that data is coming at people. Mm-hmm. The internet is giving us more information faster from different vectors and we're multitasking and this, you know, somebody's beating over here. And, and so we've got to improve the way we're delivering content, you know, where we're, we're focused on um, the author or the creator, as opposed to uh, the worst that has to, person that has to take that in. Um, there's something called uh, pride of authorship, pride of authorship. You know, we need to become aware of that mm-hmm. and say, well, what is this person reading or hearing that I'm putting together for them? Right. And yeah. I'm seeing a ton of talk, but very little uh, concern for how do they, how do they take this in? Absolutely. Yeah, so with that said, knowing that there's so many gaps, and you mentioned this topic of lessons learned, which I, I would love to expand upon 
maybe we'll be able to get a chance to really dive into that. Um, how do you see your company helping during this crisis or helping navigate this in, in, during this COVID crisis and, and following? Oh, so we, we'll just come in, you know, we're processed, you know, everything we think is process, process, step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we'll come in and help organizations. Uh, again, from COVID, uh, we already know, uh, based on the research that we've done, what the process should be. And I'm saying functionally, mm -hmm. we can always take that and customize it to what the organization needs to see. Right. right? Um, you know, if you're not worried about uh, if uh, uh, if your patients are not going to take public transportation to get to your facility, so we don't have to worry about that part, right? Mm -hmm. So we know what that is. We can make it very easy to understand, easy to follow quickly. Um, and once we have that, that's something that you use now. If there's a resurgent, use it again and just do some modification to it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and in addition, uh, like I said, our foundation is Lean Six Sigma. So when I say that, continuous improvement. Uh, the model we use is called the MEG, define, measure, analyze, improve, control. Mm. Define, measure. It's hard to measure what you can't see. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we start off with a visual definition, and then that visual definition, then we can start applying um, performance measures to it, and then what's above and below standard, and we can define it at the level that can be monitored on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a continuous proven cycle, define, measure, and analyze, improve control. We're not expecting the practitioners to understand that. Um, <laughs> and if they are, they got a lot to learn. We, <laughs> exactly. we know how to do it. We, we you know, it's second nature to us. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a little much to even, you know, for, for, for folks who do it every day to be able to put it down on paper, you, you, when you, it's really hard. What is, how does that saying go to, to see the picture when you're the frame, right? You, you can't, it's hard to be yep. a part of documenting the process when you really, you can't zoom as, as far enough away from it as you need to coming. I think as an outsider coming into it, it really helps, especially with the experience that you guys have for you to very easily be able to say, wait a second, this doesn't connect to this. Can you okay. explain that to me and how, let's figure out how we make these connections proper and what, how, what are the steps that we're missing that aren't really documented? Things start to really stand out greater than if somebody's in the office who's operated in one particular, very narrowly focused area to try to assist in, this, in, the, in the overall process of documentation. It's unrealistic. I think so here's an example. Oh, good. Here's no, an example. No. So one of the examples is um, we'll see a workflow that's been defined by uh, medical personnel, and it starts off with patient arrives, um, and we have masks on, and then they go through the screening process, and then they say, and, and patient um, should stay home for 14 days, but they didn't go through the process logically Masking is a different part, is a different process. Mm -hmm. Somewhere they went from patient arrival to the patient is at home. Wait a minute, where did you dismiss the patient? Okay. Right. In addition, what we're seeing is COVID workflows being developed. Well, what about the standard patient? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So outstanding right. uh, 
AR, uh, demographics, and all the other stuff, those things are now separate because, well, we're worried about COVID. Yeah, well, we need to catch this other stuff too. Yeah. And define those those steps. Yes. Well, they, all, they, they intertwine, but they do. But, um, yeah. And much of what we're doing, even for COVID, Renee and I had this discussion a couple of episodes back that some of the things that we're seeing people implementing in their practices probably should have been there already as far as hygiene. And, and just basic practice for, um, for cleanliness and well-being of their, own, you know, of their own staff and their patients as well. And taking proper precautions if during the flu season, a standard flu season, if a patient is ill, are you asking those questions? Are they coming in and spreading the flu to your whole team? Is that, you know, these are all things that certainly if, if you take these lessons that you're learning and, and adjusting your processes and actually documenting and, and implementing some sort of real visually supported documented process, then these are things that you can continue to use. It doesn't have to be, oh, it's COVID or Ebola or anything. It, it could just be, it's flu season <laughs> and we need to make yeah. sure that our people stay well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Henry, as a healthcare disruptor, what innovative approach you feel your company will be able to offer healthcare systems or even physician practices in general? Visual consumability. Mm make it visually consumable, okay? Absolutely. Uh, that means breaking it down. First, you have to be thorough. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to have the end-to-end -end -end process defined. Mm -hmm. And then we break it down into, I'm going to continue to say, visually consumable components, okay? Mm -hmm. Making it very easy to understand, very easy to follow. The gotcha. team should understand what the process uh, is depicting. They might not all agree, Right. And so they can have that conversation, uh, but they're not wasting time figuring out what the information is saying. Right. So again, that's what we're going to call 21st century content delivery. It's mm -hmm. not happening right now. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. I, de I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Well, for anybody who wants to, you know, connect with you, reach out to you, please let them know where they can find you. Okay, H Drawn, D R A U G H O N, at Process Delivery Systems.com. And what I'll do is I'll send you our information. Um, sure. It's a pretty long uh, email. Our company is Process Delivery Systems, mm -hmm. and we've got a ton of information out on our site. And you know, we've written ebooks and, and, and articles and video on all of this stuff. So, awesome. Wonderful. Do you guys have any social media pages? Or anything for people to follow you there as well? I've been doing most of my publication on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, I've got a couple of articles out there, a couple of ebooks uh, that you can get through through LinkedIn. And again, from okay. our site. And we've got some more coming out too in the next month. Awesome. Well, Henry, thank you so much for joining us on Healthcare Disrupted. It truly has been a pleasure to learn more about you and what your company offer as far as process you know, delivery, process improvement, um just visual you know flow charts or whatnot but it has been a pleasure so thank you and uh we'll see you soon okay jasmine thank Renee, you Henry. thank you thanks for having me no problem thank you for listening be sure to check back for new episodes of healthcare disrupted find out more at www.healthcaredisrupted.org until next time